0: day, everyone, and welcome to the Stitch Fix second quarter 2021 earnings call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the conference over to Mr. David Pierce, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir.
1: Thank you for joining us on the call today to discuss the results for our second quarter of fiscal 2021. Joining me on today's call are Katrina Lakes, founder and CEO of Stitch Fix, Elizabeth Balding, President, and Dan Jetta, CFO. I would also like to mention that we are joining you remotely today from our home offices. We have posted complete Q2 financial results in our shareholder letter on the IR section of our website, investors.stitchfix.com. A link to the webcast of today's conference call can also be found on our site. We would like to remind everyone that we will be making forward-looking statements on this call which involve risks and uncertainties. Actual results could differ materially from those contemplated by our forward-looking statements. Reported results should not be considered as an indication of future performance. Please review our filings with the SEC for a discussion of the factors that could cause the results to differ. Also, note that the forward-looking statements on this call are based on information available to us as of today's date. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking statements except as required by law. During this call, we will discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures are provided in the shareholder letter on our IR website. These non-GAAP measures are not intended to be a substitute for GAAP results. Finally, this call in its entirety is being webcast on our IR website, and a replay of this call will be available on the website shortly. I'd now like to turn the call over to Katrina.
2: Thanks, David, and thank you for joining us. After the market closed today, we issued our quarterly shareholder letter with more details on our results and strategy. On today's call, we'll focus on three themes that demonstrate the momentum we're seeing in our business. First, we are continuing to see clients migrating to our offering at the highest rates we've seen in years, and we're excited about the opportunity to accelerate our share gains over time. Second, we continue to evolve our fixed offering to enhance conversion and retention of new and existing clients. And third, direct buy is resonating with our existing clients, and we're preparing to roll it out to first-time clients at the end of fiscal Q4. Combined, our demand strength, product innovation, and planned launch of direct buy to new clients give us confidence as we look to the quarters ahead. As I'll discuss in a moment, we also see near-term factors that we expect will impact the back half of this fiscal year, and as a result, we've updated our full-year outlook. Before I dive into these themes, let me first review our results from the quarter. In Q2, we generated net revenue of $504 million. Reflecting 12% growth year over year. Within our fixed offering, first fixed shipments in the quarter increased to their highest growth level in five years. However, due to the pandemic, carriers faced unprecedented volume during the holidays and we saw increased cycle times. This resulted in us not being able to recognize all the revenue from fixes we shipped during the quarter. We define cycle time as the duration between when we file items for a fix and when we receive and process any items back from the client in our warehouse. And unlike other e-commerce companies, we recognize revenue for fixes at client checkout, not at the point of shipment. Adjusting for the impact of these increased cycle times, we believe Q2 revenue would have been within our guidance range. In response to these delays, We've made adjustments in our ship planning process to ensure we meet our promised delivery dates. We are taking steps to diversify our outbound carrier mix, and we are partnering with our primary carrier, the United States Postal Service, to process our returns more efficiently. In January of Q2, Direct Buy helped us achieve our strongest month-over-month revenue growth of any January on record, and demonstrated the power of our new offering to complement our core fixed form factor. That said, we also learned more during the holiday period about seasonality of direct buy. We saw a softer holiday performance than we anticipated and believe that self-purchase behavior subsides in this window, similar to what we've historically seen in our fixed offering and is replaced with a gifting mindset. In Q2, we also grew our active client count to nearly 3.9 million, representing a year over year increase of 408,000 clients or 12% growth. It also reflected a quarter-over-quarter increase of 110,000 clients, which is more than twice what we delivered last holiday quarter. With this growth, we've generated more net client additions in the last two quarters than we did in all of fiscal 2020, and we plan to continue expanding our client base in the remainder of the year. Dan will review our results in more detail later on this call. Now I'll share more on how we continue to capture share amidst the ongoing shift in the retail landscape and why this gives us confidence in our long-term opportunities. The first COVID-19 stay-at-home government mandates were enacted nearly a year ago. This resulted in a massive share shift acceleration online as consumers increasingly moved away from predominantly shopping for apparel in physical stores. Industry observers estimate that approximately five years worth of online share shift occurred in the past year alone and forecasts now call for nearly half of U.S. apparel spend to have moved online by 2025. As a result, we believe that consumers' embrace of our offering is here to stay, and the demand trends and client growth we're seeing demonstrate that our model of personalized discovery and radical convenience position us well to capture more than our fair share. As the country begins to reopen and the broader environment normalizes, We believe overall demand for apparel will increase and we'll be incredibly well-positioned to win. In the second quarter, growth in first fixed shipments accelerated to nearly 50% year-over-year, which is our highest growth rate since 2016 and was up from over 25% growth last quarter. This growth was driven primarily by Strength in Our Women's category, which delivered its highest year-over-year first fixed growth in the past five years. Given that our women's category comprises the large majority of our business and addressable markets, this acceleration is particularly exciting and highlights our strong product-market fit and the migration that is underway. As we look to the back half of our fiscal year, we continue to see significant opportunity, but there are also factors that have emerged that are important to consider. From a demand standpoint, we're seeing first-time clients migrating to Stitch Fix at multi-year highs, and to support this demand, we are investing across inventory, styling, and operations to have the product and throughput to serve these clients well for the quarters ahead. But we're also seeing longer cycle times, mainly comprising carrier and client delays, which continued in February. These longer cycle times impact in-period revenue recognition and delay subsequent fixed orders both of which can dampen our top line. We saw this in Q2. In addition, we expect some product feature rollouts tied to the Direct Buy launch to first-time clients to move to later in this fiscal year, which would push out some of the anticipated revenue growth. As Elizabeth will discuss in a moment, Direct Buy performance remains strong and we're investing the time and effort to enhance the product experience before our plan launch to first-time clients at the end of fiscal Q4. Given these moving parts, we believe it's prudent to adjust our revenue outlook for the fiscal year. Dan will discuss this in more detail later in the call, but our confidence and excitement around the products we're building and the demand we're seeing remains unchanged. Now, I'll hand it over to Elizabeth who will share more on some of the enhancements we're delivering across our offerings. Thanks, Katrina, and hello
3: to all of you on the line. Today, I'd like to share more on the strategic innovation we're investing in to drive long-term growth. We believe these investments across our fixed and direct by offerings will increase the relevance of our personalized service and allow us to play in a full suite of shopping occasions, which we expect will increase the value we get from existing customers and expand our addressable market of new customers. As we shared last quarter, we continue to evolve our fixed offering by leveraging our data science capabilities and capitalizing on our large talented styling team to deliver stronger client outcomes and cement long lasting relationships. Our vision is to elevate our nearly 6,000 stylists who we view as a unique competitive advantage in our personalized offering as style experts. And as a result, we're investing in product experiences that we believe will drive greater personalization, increase wallet share, and enhance lifetime value. The first of these experiences is Fixed Preview, which as we discussed last quarter, gives clients the opportunity to view proposed items for their next fix before it ships. We expect Fixed Preview to increase client conversion rates because we give clients more agency in the fix experience. An added benefit of this feature is that we're also able to collect rich and meaningful feedback that improves the efficacy and efficiency of our algorithm. Initial results from our fixed preview launch, which included nearly half of UK clients, demonstrated strong client engagement with nearly three quarters of these clients opting in for the feature as of Q2. When compared to outcomes without fixed preview, we also saw higher keep rates which drove a 10% increase in average order value, and improved client retention. With these encouraging results, we recently scaled fixed preview to 100% of our UK clients, and we plan to ramp to all of our U.S. clients by the end of the fiscal year. We're also investing in additional client-facing experiences that further leverage our stylists to deliver personalized, collaborative engagement that extends beyond the transaction to form long-lasting relationships. One of these experiences that we've begun incubating is live styling, where clients join their stylist for a 30-minute session hosted by a video call to talk through styling advice and to partner with their stylist to co-create their fix. As this offering evolves, we believe that it will improve client retention and deepen client trust with the help and guidance that our stylists are able to offer. While still early, experiences like fixed preview and live styling enhance our interactions with clients and thus the quality and dimension of data we gather from those interactions. These multi-touch points provide an opportunity to learn additional ways the clients would like to engage with our offering, creating jumping off points for new experiences that we may pursue in the future. To accelerate the rollout of these product experiences, we're investing for the long term by growing our styling community and product engineering team. Over time, we believe this will allow us to increase conversion, improve client outcomes, and expand lifetime value. Now, let me discuss some of the exciting progress we've made with Direct Buy, where the offering continues to scale among our existing clients and increase client engagement and purchase behavior. With nearly one quarter of our women's active clients having made a direct buy purchase to date, we're pleased to see such strong engagement from our largest client category. In addition, since launch, nearly two thirds of these women's clients have returned to make repeat purchases within six months of their initial purchase. We've also found that clients we've acquired through paid marketing channels in the past few quarters are actively engaging with direct buy and are delivering higher early lifetime values than previous cohorts. Specifically, we've seen that these clients are generating more cumulative contribution profit in their first three and six months than clients one year ago who are largely fixed clients only. This incrementality gives us more optimism to believe that as our direct buy offering expands, client lifetime values will continue to grow. The momentum and client engagement we've seen increases our confidence as we look to introduce direct buy to new clients at the end of the fiscal year. We have a solid foundation in place and our development efforts are largely focused now on expanding the experience for first time clients. This includes evolving our client onboarding process and user interface, tightening logistics and operations, and streamlining client style collection information. Specifically within the client experience, we're focused on expanding the breadth of our assortment to accommodate clients' individual preferences while balancing the browse and discovery experience to ensure direct buy remains highly personalized and engaging. We believe that taking the time to optimize the experience in this way will allow us to more effectively scale direct buy and bring the offering to life for first-time clients later this fiscal year. Our goal is to help clients begin their journey with Stitch Fix in the best possible way, starting with either Fix or Direct Buy as soon as they enter our ecosystem. And we expect that Direct Buy will help drive greater engagement and fuel client acquisition in the years ahead by unlocking the full addressable apparel market. Before I hand it over to Dan, I'd like to quickly touch on our efforts to vastly expand the selection that we can offer to clients as we position the company for accelerated long-term growth. Historically, we've used a wholesale inventory model, which has been very effective, but places inherent limitations on the breadth and depth of our assortment. Earlier this fiscal year, we began exploring new inventory models, including vendor-managed inventory and dropship. We believe moving to a multi-inventory model will enable us over time to meaningfully expand selection, allowing us to attract more clients, drive higher demand, and create a flywheel of accelerated growth. We look forward to sharing more details on this topic in the quarters ahead. As you can see, our focus on innovating our fix experience, scaling and ungating direct buy, and evolving our inventory models demonstrate our commitment to creating more ways to win in this new apparel retail landscape. This gives us confidence in our ability to continue taking share and driving long-term growth. With that, I'll turn it over to Dan.
1: Thanks, Elizabeth, and hello to everyone joining us on today's call. I'm just over three months into the role, and I've had the opportunity to dive into the business. A few things stand out that I wanted to share. First, the passion and dedication of the team to innovate in this space and provide a unique and personalized client experience is unmatched. Second, I'm incredibly impressed with the data science mode and creative styling capabilities that the team has built. And finally, the investments we're making to evolve our FIX offering and scale direct buy give me excitement in our long-term growth trajectory, and I look forward to helping meaningfully scale our business over time. I couldn't be more excited to be part of the Stitch Fix team. With that, I'll discuss our Q2 results. In the quarter, we generated net revenue of $504 million, representing 12% growth year-over-year, which is an increase in growth over Q1, As Katrina mentioned, revenue for the quarter was impacted both by increased cycle times for fixes, which are largely related to carrier and client delays, as well as direct buys softer than anticipated performance during the holiday period. Adjusting for the impact of these increased cycle times, we believe Q2 revenue would have been within our guidance range. In the quarter, we grew active clients to nearly 3.9 million, an increase of 408,000 clients, and 12% year-over-year. This also resulted in an increase of 110,000 active clients quarter over quarter, which is more than twice what we delivered in our last holiday quarter. Net revenue per active client of $467 declined 6.8% year over year, consistent with our expectations. As we shared last quarter, this decline is driven primarily by our increasing new client growth. With an influx of new clients that are early in their spending journey with us, Revenue per client may be lower until these new cohorts of clients have more time on our platform. In addition, our trailing four-quarter calculation continues to include the impact of our Q3 2020 COVID trial, which we will lap next quarter. Q2 gross margin was 42.9%, representing a 190 basis point decline from the same quarter last year, primarily driven by increased shipping expense, largely due to higher rates with our carriers. In addition, the decline was impacted by increased inventory reserves due to higher inventory level, as well as some select men's inventory targeted for near-term clearance. This is a function of our men's category rebounding more slowly from the impact of the pandemic than women's and kids. We believe men are shopping less frequently during these COVID times, but we expect these trends to improve as we emerge from this backdrop. Advertising was 8.3% of net revenue in Q2, compared to 7.9% in Q2 2020. During the holiday period, we saw higher CPAs in certain channels, so we pulled back on advertising in December. Entering January, we saw significant improvement in CPAs and increased our advertising spend accordingly, which contributed to our strongest month-over-month growth in revenue and active client additions of any January on record. Other SG&A excluding advertising was 42.6% of net revenue in Q2, compared to 35.0% in the same period last year. The increase year-over-year was driven by higher compensation and benefits expense, including increased wages at our fulfillment center tied to an hourly wage increase to at least $15 per hour for all full-time U.S. warehouse associates. In addition, it reflected higher marketing expenses and increased COVID-related costs. Q2 adjusted EBITDA loss was $8.9 million, reflecting the impact of lower revenue in the quarter, higher shipping costs, and investment in our people and operations. Q2 net loss was $21 million, and diluted loss per share was $0.20. And finally, we ended the quarter with no debt and $369.4 million in cash, cash equivalents, and highly rated securities. Now I'll turn to our outlook. We are seeing strong new client acquisition trends, healthy autoship retention levels, and increased client engagement with direct buy. That said, there are also near-term factors that may impact the back half of fiscal 2021 and are reflected in our updated full-year guidance. First, we saw longer cycle times in Q2 that persisted in February that we believe could impact revenue in the second half of the year. These longer cycle times, mainly comprising carrier and client delays impact in-period revenue recognition, and can delay subsequent fixed orders, given that a large majority of our clients receive recurring fixed shipments. In addition, there's still a lot of uncertainty given COVID, and as a result, we're taking a more measured approach to our outlook. And second, our direct buy offering, we're very excited about the momentum we've seen with our existing clients, and we look forward to rolling it out to first-time clients. As Elizabeth mentioned, our product teams have focused on expanding features of the user experience to ensure that direct buy is a great experience from the onset to onboard new to Stitch Fix clients. As such, we plan to continue testing the product through FISCO Q3 and into Q4 before full-scale product launch and late FISCO Q4. This rollout time also plays a role in our revised guidance. Given these factors, let me now share our Q3 and full year 2021 guidance. For Q3, we expect net revenue in the range of 505 to 515 million, representing growth of 36 to 39% year over year. We expect adjusted EBITDA in the range of negative nine to negative five million or negative 1.8 to negative 1.0%. This reflects our ongoing investment in advertising, operations and styling that we discussed earlier. While we expect these investments to benefit client growth in the quarters to come, they will also weigh on adjusted EBITDA in the near term. For full year 2021, we now expect net revenue in the range of 2.02 to 2.05 billion, representing growth of 18 to 20% year over year, driven primarily by accelerating year over year active client growth and increasing spend from our newest client cohorts as they mature on our platform. From an investment standpoint, given that there are several moving pieces, including the precise timing of product launches, will hold off on providing full-year adjusted EBITDA guidance at this time. In summary, we remain excited by the demand trends we've seen over the last few quarters, giving us us confidence that this, combined with our investments in new product and innovation, position us for long-term growth. With that, we're now ready for your questions. Operator, I'll turn it over to you.
0: Thank you. At this time, if you do have a question, please signal us by pressing star 1. Again, that will be star 1 for questions. We'll hear first today from Edward Yuruma with KeyBank Capital
4: Markets. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking the questions. I guess two first. Um, uh, First, are you starting to see any kind of early cycle signs that we're seeing a rotation in apparel demand, i.e. are you seeing an uptick in going out clothing, workwear, and then, as a follow up to your commentary on launching Direct Buy um, and cold started people in Direct Buy, were there other initial signs that indicated that the product uh, needs kind of more work before launching and kind of help us understand a little bit more clear, uh, clearly kind of why, the, uh, you know, why that was delayed? Thank you.
3: Yeah, hi Ed. This is Elizabeth. Um, happy to take both of those. Those are great questions. Um, first, on I think your first question was about are we seeing differences in kind of consumer demand patterns, and you know we can s- continue to just see very strong growth in casual and activewear. Both of those um, have had outsized growth, and then not surprisingly, slower um, growth rates in kind of career and workwear type items and um, there are specific categories we've seen particular strength in you know sneakers being one knits you know not surprising (laughs) uh items that people are wearing in this work from home and environment we have you know tried to keep a pulse on markets that are opening up a little bit more quickly markets that have um, moved out of lockdown phase and the trends are largely similar a little bit stronger um, in some of those workwear categories but they're still down on a year-on-year basis Um, which is interesting. And so I think some of these work from home trends, we're anticipating kind of this casualization to uh, continue to persist post COVID, um, but more to come there. And then on uh, direct buy, you know, we continue to be really excited about what we're seeing in terms of our active client demand. Um, As we mentioned on the call, you know, a quarter of our women's clients are now in that offering. Um, The contribution margin and lifetime values have been very strong and incremental relative to uh, last year when we were really more of a fix only offering. Um, And then in terms of our timing, you know, we're building a zero-to-one product, and we just want to make sure we really get it right as we roll it out. And so um, some of the things that we mentioned on the call that we're working on is um, really expanding the access to our assortment and selection in a personalized way. Um, You know, the cold start that you mentioned of onboarding new customers is for sure one of those areas, but also um, exposing our assortment in the right way. You know, we talked about our categories data uh, the last call that we have, and we continue to work on um, generating those categories in a very unique way. Um, we've thought about it internally a little bit akin to kind of the genres you might see uh, in Netflix that are being dynamically generated based on your preferences. So it's areas like that that we're continuing to work on and to make sure there's adequate um, selection and breadth for those new customers when
4: they join. Thank you.
0: I'll hear next from Dana Telsey with Telsey Advisory Group.
4: Good afternoon, everyone. As you think about the supply chain and the capacity issues with delivery, what's your sense in terms of timing as how we move through this? How do you see inventory progressing as we go through the balance of the fiscal year and the impact on the expense side? Thank you.
1: I can take the second part of that question on inventory. Uh, we have seen inventory increase uh, in our second quarter uh, as we get ready for our direct buy expansion and our roll up and also as we are expanding selection. So we are continuing to invest in selection, uh, both breadth and depth, uh, and we'll continue to grow our inventory as we get ready to launch direct buy to non-stitch fixed customers and continue to expand our fixed offering. Um, and uh, can you repeat the first part of that question, please?
4: As you think about the timeline of the delays in receiving of goods and diversifying um, capacity, how do you think of when, when does it normalize? When, will, when do you think deliveries start to normalize?
1: Yeah, we, we have about 90% of our product coming in through uh, uh, the, uh, the West Coast ports, specifically L.A. We haven't been too impacted. Uh, on our inbound on that yet, we are watching it very closely. it um, it hasn't impacted either our selection or our inventory at this at this point. Again, something we're monitoring very closely, and we can update you uh, if we do if it does
5: impact us on future calls, but to date it hasn't materially impacted us.
2: Thank you.
0: From Barclays, we'll move to Ross Sandler.
5: Hey guys, Uh, so just a couple questions on the gross margin, kind of follow up from that last one. Um, Our understanding is that you know in any given quarter you have more or less pretty pretty good sense of how many fixes uh, you know you're going to process based on demand and inventory, and that most likely you would contract for that much outbound shipping volume ahead of time. So I, I guess what happened here in the fourth quarter, we know that. It was pretty tight across the industry, but was there, do you have over-dependency on postal service, or was there some blow-up among one of the shipping partners? And then, like, what are you doing to sort that out on a go-forward basis? And then uh, it looks like the men's uh, side of the business had these clearance issues, so any more color on that? And, um, you know, given the ramp-up of inventory, uh, do you still have the same level of confidence on a go-forward basis around gross margin? given that, that men's uh, clearance issue in the, in, in the January quarter. Thanks a lot. Uh,
1: I'll take the first part of that, Ross, and I'll ask Elizabeth to take the, uh, the second part on the men's category. Uh, with respect to shipping, um, obviously during the holiday period, there was unprecedented volume across the networks, across all the networks in shipping, and we were impacted by that. Uh, we have standard contracts. Uh, We do use, as Katrina mentioned, we do use USPS, uh, although we also use other carriers, including FedEx as well. And so not only did we see uh, higher shipping uh, rates, but we also saw holiday surcharges. uh, That was not unexpected to us, and so it did impact our year-over-year margins. Uh, We are very active in focusing on diversifying our carrier network, uh, both on uh, the outbound to the client and on the returns, the reverse logistics, and something we're going to monitor closely. We do monitor closely. We strike the right balance between costs and making sure our clients get their fixes um, on in a timely manner. Um, but carrier diversification is something that's very important to us, and we're also um, working at getting our fixes uh, out the door from the time of style to the time that exits our warehouse very quickly so we can alleviate some of that Tangle time holding, we talked about earlier, but with, with respect to your question, uh, carrier diversification um, is something that uh, we're focused on again balancing that trade off between getting the fixes and the direct buy orders to the client, along with um, uh, trying to uh, keep our, our, our carrier cost uh, in check and in line. Elizabeth, I'm going to let you take the men's category.
3: Yeah, hi, Ross. Yes, I can touch on men's. I mean, I think what's been uh, exciting for businesses is we've just seen continued incredibly strong growth across women's, kids, the U.K. You know, men's is one area that we just think that consumer has come back um, a little bit more slowly and just believe it's a function of that client set. And, you know, frankly, it was a little bit softer than we expected in Q2. And some of that, you know, resulted in us incurring um, some higher inventory reserves. I think in addition to that, you know, we probably were a little bit slower to shift um, as dramatically into some of the lounge and athleisure wear that we're seeing in the highest demand from that client segment. So, we're, you know, we've been very focused on um, right-sizing our assortment, better balancing that with both demand um, and also, you know, now in a position to be better positioned to capitalize on uh, when that market, the market overall reopens and when we expect to see men's demand start to come back in a more fulsome way.
0: Move on to Yusuf Squally with tourist Securities.
5: Great, thank you. Uh, a couple questions for me. Maybe starting with you, Dan. On the um, on the, the full year um, guidance uh, on the revenue, I was wondering if you can maybe unpack that a little bit for us. Between uh, the the longer cycle time, which you've seen uh, uh, sustained uh, into February, and then just the, the slower direct buy. Roll out. When, uh, in your initial guidance that you shared with us three months ago, when ha- did you guys assume that direct buy was going to roll out versus now you're saying at the end of the year? And second, maybe can you discuss the state of the UK business and, and just your appetite for uh, uh, additional geos over the next um, year or so? Thanks.
1: Hi, Yusuf. Thanks for the question. Uh, with respect to the, the uh, guidance, first of all, let me talk briefly about what we're seeing on cycle times, uh, when we entered February, we did see modest improvement in cycle times coming off of January, and um, uh, we, uh, we saw we, we liked the trend that we saw. We saw the trend back. Uh, it certainly wasn't back to uh, pre-COVID uh, uh, levels, but uh, it improved from January. And then we all then the uh, weather hit us, uh, as it did many in the South and in the Midwest, and that has impacted us over the last two weeks. So it's been, a little, uh, it's been a mixed bag of cycle times in February. Uh, we do expect cycle times to stay elevated throughout the quarter, although we expect it to improve from where they are now. Um, and to your second point, uh, with respect to um, the delay of, of uh, uh, our direct buy to non-stitch fixed clients, we didn't, uh, we didn't say when we were gonna roll that out in, in previous guidance, um, although it is a cause for our revised guidance. Uh, We plan to roll that out late in Q4 now as we get get the product right, as Elizabeth mentioned earlier. Uh, But we're not breaking out what the impact was, um, except to say that it is still planned for launch this year. It's just going to be later in the back half of the year than we originally anticipated. I'm going to let Elizabeth take the UK question.
3: Yeah. Hi, Yusuf. Um, thanks for the great questions. On the U.K., you know, we continue to see really great momentum there. Um, we saw particularly strong first fixed demand um, over the quarter, driven primarily by women. Um, and we've also just seen um, continued very strong momentum in contribution uh, per fix and just continuing to to elevate our product market fit. Within that market, we saw about a 30% uh, year-on-year growth in both keep rate and AOV. Um, And then, as I mentioned on the call, we also have uh, used that market to incubate fixed preview, which has been um, additive in that market as well. And so we're feeling really good about um, just our ability for our model to travel internationally. Um, You know, in terms of other geographies, we don't have any specific timing yet to share, but we'll say that, you know, the the promise that we've seen in that market gives us confidence that we can take our model globally. Um, So more to share on that over time.
0: Thank you. We'll hear next from Corey Carpenter with J.P. Morgan. Great. Thanks for the question.
1: Um, I had to just maybe kind of want to go back to your comments around January. You mentioned a few times uh, one of your strongest Januarys on record. So just hoping you could maybe um, expand a bit more on on what's worked so well um, that month, perhaps where you're starting to see a pickup in demand as the economy started to reopen. And then uh, secondly, just on advertising, curious how you're thinking about the right level of ad spend. Uh, in the second half of your fiscal year, uh, just especially in the context of of the extended cycle times and and direct buy
0: pushing back. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I can start with um, January and touch on advertising, and Dan can can add on. Um, Yeah, I mean, we saw an incredibly strong January. Um, Part of that was just a very, very strong first fixed demand. I think we had mentioned we had pulled back on some of our ad spend in December, just given the elevated CPAs we're seeing, and then we really saw uh, demand coming, really rushing back, and CPMs coming down in January, and we took advantage of that and had incredibly strong first fixed signups. And then on top of that, we just saw tremendous momentum with direct buy, you know, both our daily active users, conversion rates, and just um, the same kind of momentum we had been seeing really pre-holiday. And so those two things layered together just gave us a very, very strong January. Um, and uh, as we think about advertising for the, the balance of the year, um, you know, we'll continue to be dynamic in how, how we're um, spending to that. And I think Dan can touch maybe a little bit on that further.
1: Yeah, just to reiterate uh, what Elizabeth said, um, not surprising, CPAs increased dramatically in December, um, and, and we didn't like uh, the, the rates that we were seeing on customer acquisition. So we did pull back. We, um, we knew they would get better in January, and they did, and we ramped up our, our advertising. And so um, going into Q3, uh, we like what we're seeing. We're going to continue to spend. Q3 will likely be higher than Q2. Uh, our customer acquisition is strong. Our new client um, strength is strong, uh, and advertising is a big reason why. So um, we will continue to spend um, as long as it stays within, you know, our analytics uh, and how we look at um, our lifetime value of our customer. And so with that, uh, you can expect uh, uh, spend back to more normalized rates in Q3
5: and most likely in the Q4. Thank you.
0: from Piper Sandler. We'll hear from Aaron Murphy.
3: Great. Thanks. Good afternoon.
0: Um, a couple from me, I guess. First,
3: if you kind of open up the platform to direct buy to new customers in the fourth quarter, can you just talk about how you expect that uh, potentially cannibalizing the existing fixed business, or at least what you're seeing today with the added offering to those that already use the fixed business? Yeah. Hi, Aaron. This is Elizabeth. I can touch on that. I mean, I, th- I think overall we think there's just a bigger addressable market out there by having a, a wire platform for our customers, whether they want to shop, whether they want to be styled or participate in both of those models. And so, um, you know, both similar to the incrementality that we've observed with active clients as they participate in both and seeing that is actually um, a additive experience. I think we're thinking about it similarly as we bring new consumers onto the platform. Um, you know, over time, as well, there are parts of driving traffic to our site that we'll be able to participate in in the quarters to come. Probably not immediately, just given the build out of the infrastructure and the way uh, site indexing works. But to be able to eventually participate in search engine optimization. And so, between um, you know, consumers having more ways to win with us, as well as driving more traffic to Stitch Fix by opening up our product catalog and having more ways to interact. Um, you know, we feel like it's just the right thing to do to be able to offer a more uh, diverse experience. Okay, thank you. And then just my second question is on, I guess, Dan, for you, can you just share what's uh, contemplated in your third quarter guidance between active customers and revenue per customer? Thank you.
1: Uh, Well, our revenue per customer, as we mentioned, uh, is at uh, 467, which is flat uh, to Q1, um, and that is a function of just the newer client uh, of cohorted customers spending very early on in their cycle times as those clients spend more we do expect that to uh, increase and get to more normalized levels uh, going forward I, I think that was the answer to your question um, on our revenue per active clients um, and then we're not going to say anything on uh, q3 guidance with respect to active clients we're not uh, we're not giving that as part of guidance
0: okay thank you. we next from Paul Trussell with Deutsche Bank. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, with
5: the fixed preview, um, how much higher were the keep rates uh, for, for those that utilize that feature and any other color you can provide on, uh, like, client retention and, and average order value? Also, on the live styling, certainly that, that's quite interesting concept. Maybe just speak a little bit more. Uh, about what you expect from that and, and the level of investment you're going to make into that capability.
3: Yeah, thank you, Paul. Great question. Um, so, on fixed preview, I shared a little bit on the call, um, and overall, you know, we've just seen. Expansion really in the majority of the metrics that we look at for our customers on AOV and keep rate in particular, we saw that a 10% lift across both of those, and uh, we've seen that continue. Um, We started that pilot in the UK back in August, scaled it to 50% soon thereafter, and then recently scaled it to 100%, and we're feeling good about um, the continued strength of that experience and. We're still at a pretty modest level um, in the U.S., but we are scaling it to 100% uh, we foresee by the end of the fiscal year. And so um, we feel really great about it being uh, a service that makes clients even happier, uh, driving retention and driving those higher average order values, and a place that we could imagine experimenting with even further over time. You know, one interesting anecdote is that Um, If if previewed an accessory and somebody keeps it in their cart, they almost always keep it. So also just certain item types we think will be an exciting add-on to that feature. Uh, And then with live styling, we're a little bit earlier on that than we are with six preview. We're still incubating it, but we're seeing a lot of the same um, patterns and trends around, um, you know, just the the, the response to things like order value and so forth, and really just a lot of richness and other things clients are wanting to share with us. Like, hey, let me show you this thing I love in my closet. Can you find me something to go with it? Um, And just different um, elements that we are envisioning, how that might create almost experience offshoots from it. Um, But I would say we don't plan to scale that immediately. We're still in sort of the incubation and testing mode to figure out what is the best way to scale that and what other um, kind of services might it imply that our clients are looking for. So we're really excited by the feedback we've gotten so far, both from our clients and, frankly, from our stylists as well who are loving participating in the program. Um, So we'll share more in the quarters to come. I think we've got our plate full between direct buy and fixed preview right now, but we'll keep incubating that for something that will follow on probably in FY22.
5: That's helpful. And just, just a quick follow-up, you know, as we think about uh, the, the cycle, time, delays, I mean, you spoke to the revenue impact, just can you talk a little bit more around what impact it's having to the overall P&L, both what you saw in Q2 and how you think about it, you know, in, in Q3, and, and also, you know, with your Q3 guidance? You, you outline about these ongoing investments in advertising, you know, operations and styling. To, to what extent is, is that weighing on the quarter?
1: I can take that one. Uh, to your question on cycle time, uh, we did talk about the revenue impact. What, what, what happens a lot of times is uh, the, the, um, the, the processing time becomes lumpy as we get uh, returns in large batches. And so there's some operational burden that cycle time does have on our fulfillment centers. And so we're managing that closely. It hasn't been material. Uh, we've been able to, um, to work around that and implement new processes to, to better align uh, on any sort of lumpiness that we get. Um, and so it, from a cost structure standpoint, um, the, I, I would not assume that it's material to us uh, just because we've been so proactive in, in how we manage that cycle time, especially on the returns processing. Um, and so it is more of a revenue recognition, including the potential to impact subsequent fixes. Um, and so uh, from that standpoint, it's
0: primarily more on, on the revenue side than it is on the cost side. We'll hear next from Ike Bershaw with Wells Fargo.
5: Hey, thanks everyone. Um, just two questions on direct buy. Um, is it possible to kind of break apart the, the PL of both uh, direct buy versus uh, the subscription business and um, talk about the gross margins uh, between the two? I'm just kind of curious as direct buy continues to ramp, will that be a drag on gross margin? Will it be neutral? Or just how should we think about that? And then I believe this is the last quarter before we start lapping the direct buy rollout. Can you comment on the other part of the business separately and just what kind of growth rates you're seeing in, in the box business um, if we took the direct buy component out of it? Thanks.
1: I can take um, that. Hi. We don't break, break out the, um, the direct buy versus the fixed uh, financials. Um, there There are a couple of areas I can point to uh obviously, the fix has a styling component um, but direct buy and, and direct buy does not uh, that being said uh the margin structure uh, is very positive for both um, and uh, but but again, we're not breaking out uh, the different growth factors in direct buy right now or or and we don't really talk about the different um, uh, economics of direct buy I, I will I will reiterate what Elizabeth said that direct buy is additive um, uh, to the fixed business for
5: our fixed customers. So we like what we've seen there from an incrementality standpoint.
0: Yeah, maybe the one quick thing I would add just on the fixed side of things,
3: just um, what we've seen on our first fixed growth in particular is just incredibly strong trends with women's um, as well as kids kind of outperforming. Um, But to Dan's point, we don't really break out the growth rates of the two. I think over time we'll figure out if it makes sense to do do so. Um, I think we're seeing, you know, as we mentioned on the call as well, just positive momentum of a greater portion of our client base participating. And as we expand uh, the feature set and start to make it available right out of the gates to new clients, we would anticipate uh, that growth to accelerate. But we'll be able to share more in the quarters ahead.
0: from JJK Research Associates. We'll move to
4: Janet Kloppenberg. Good good evening, everyone. Um, Just a couple of questions from me. First, on the expansion of the direct buy assortments, I was just wondering um, what you thought that might lead to in terms of um, residual products, you know, um, markdown pressure, etc., generally something associated with expanding assortments. And um, and, um, you know, how we should think about that in terms of merchandise margin. And then um, you have a, a lot of um, new pilots going on right now, you know, including live styling and then direct buy coming to the um, new customers, et cetera. And I think you're learning a lot along the way, you know. You see the seasonality come in and maybe the men's business not being – Quite as strong as you thought, which I, I assume will pick up at some point soon. Um, I'm just wondering how we should think about your view in terms of continuing to invest in these new projects, which are clearly driving new customers to Stitch Fix, um, but they're also putting uh, pressure on your profitability, or because of you know the learnings and the investments that follow. So I was just wondering what, what are your priorities there and how we should think about future projects? Thank you. Yeah, yeah I Janet,
1: maybe I'll, sure
4: I'll, I can...
1: yeah, I'll take the first one. Yeah, I'm going to take the first one of that. Thanks for the question, Janet. Uh, with respect to direct buy and increasing selection on inventory, uh, you know, as, as you bring in more more inventory uh, reserve rates and potentially the, um, the resulting markdown clearance is, is possible, but Uh, You have to counter that with the increase in clients, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. our ability to attract uh, non-fixed based clients, uh, which is one of the reasons why we're going to launch this direct buy uh, to non-fixed customers in in the back half of the year. And so we're watching our inventory closely. Um, We are expanding selection. That's very intentional, uh, especially as we uh, launch new features like categories which Elizabeth um, uh, discussed earlier, having the right product mix to show the the customer is very important in those areas. So we will continue to invest in inventory, and we're going to watch it closely. Um, And we do expect, you know, uh, inventory reserve rates to move along with inventory, but it's something that we are keeping a
4: very close eye on. Great. Thank you.
3: Yeah, and Janet, I can touch on your question on just sort of the innovation expansion that we've been focused on and some of the pilots that we mentioned on the call. And I think just in general, we see this as really our moment as consumers are shifting at unprecedented rates uh, online. You know, Katrina mentioned just this notion of um, the belief that, you know, 50% of apparel by 2025 will be online. And um, mm-hmm. the market is going to start opening up here, and we're really gearing up for that. And so, We view our platform today. A lot of times on these calls, we've been talking about fixes and direct buy, but really the long-term vision is just the most personalized shopping experience in the world. And, you know, e-commerce has really been characterized for apparel by search, and we're entering into a new phase that will be characterized by browse and discovery. And so our styling model and experiences that hinge off of that Um, just a curated shopping feed, all of those are areas that we think we can become really the destination of choice and the primary shopping destination for our clients. And so what we're excited about is that the things that we've been testing, we're proving that we can pretty quickly scale like six preview and even direct buy. you know, we really only launched that to our active client base um, a year ago, it was February, 2020. So I think what we're excited about is just the adoption that we're seeing of these new services um, together with just the overall market uh, tailwind. Um, So we'll continue to be testing things for sure. Not everything will will work, um, but we're very optimistic of seeing the adoption we've seen to date that we can continue the expansion of our model.
4: Okay, so the focus will be on expanding the services that you provide to the customer to, to continue to grow your um, your your group of active customers.
3: Yes, yeah, that's right. And I think what we're seeing is we're participating in more and more of the share of wallet and purchase occasions, whether it's more inspiration based or more purchase intent- based purchases, hence the scaling of our categories experience.
4: Great. Right.
3: Thanks a lot, and best of luck. Thank
0: you. And again, for questions, that's star one at this time. We'll hear next from Lauren Shank with Morgan Stanley.
2: Great. Thanks for, for taking my question. I just wanted to, to follow up on the, on the longer
3: cycle times. Just wondering if you, you can quantify sort of on a number of days perspective how much those have been extended. And then curious if, if you were seeing that in, in early to mid-December when you initially guided the quarter. I would have thought maybe over Cyber Monday, Black Friday, that those delays would have been evident already. Um, so just, you know, follow up on, um, you know, when you start to see that that real impact. And then, you know, presumably this is just sort of a, a revenue recognition timing issue. So on a full-year basis, ignoring sort of the quarterly variances, is the lower 21 outlook really direct buy-driven? Um, and does that does that play out more in, Fewer number of active customers or lower spend per customer.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I'll take um, the questions. I can take that one. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, we did see uh, cycle times uh, start to creep up uh, in December, uh, in November and December. Uh, what surprised us a little bit is that they continued to stay um, high for January and into February. Uh, and so that is impacting us, as we mentioned uh, for Q2. And we have not seen them come down uh, to pre-holiday levels. Um, and we expect and while we do expect them to come down throughout Q3, we, we do believe that in the back half it will still impact us. Uh, to your point on the timing of it, 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 it does impact subsequent fixes potentially. Uh, because uh, most of our clients are on a, um, a scheduled subsequent fix, uh, and so if they if it takes longer for a carrier to deliver or the client holds the um, fix longer, um, it will impact subsequent fixes. And so we're managing that and watching that very closely, uh, as well. That all said, um, it you know to your point on uh, on the back half, uh, the timing of our direct buy. Is a, a, a reason for the lower guidance in the back half, um, as we get that product uh, to be right and launch it very, you know, launch it late in Q4, uh, relative to what we were expecting um, uh, earlier
0: when we provided the guidance in last quarter. And from Baird, we'll hear next from Mark Alschwager.
5: Uh, Good afternoon. Thanks for
1: taking my question. Um, I uh, Two questions related to inventory. Um, First, I was hoping you could just talk a little bit more about how you're planning inventory receipts
5: as you begin to cycle the COVID disruptions and we look toward additional stimulus. it, It sounds like direct buy picked up in January. Not sure how much of that might have been impacted by
1: stimulus, but I guess I'm curious how responsive you can be should demand accelerate um, you know, beyond your plans in the coming months, um, especially in the direct buy piece? And then, bigger picture, just the new inventory models, um, you know, really exciting with the dropship vendor
5: managed. Just to, can you give us a better sense of what inning you're in there from an investment standpoint and just what level of additional um, you know, capacity or technology infrastructure um, might be needed to, to scale this um, longer term? Thank you.
1: Hi, I can I can take the first part um, of that question, and I'll I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let Elizabeth answer uh, the second on the inventory models. Um, to your point on uh, on our our ability to uh, bring on receipts, uh, first of all, it, it, it's unclear in January uh, what it, drove it was stimulus checks or if stimulus checks coming up um, would drive demand. Um, we uh, we did see very healthy January growth rates. Um, and we were ready for that with inventory, uh, and uh, we do have, of course, lead times for the receipt of our inventory. That said, um, we uh, we're very fa- we're very familiar with our lead times, and we do feel very well positioned to take advantage of uh, of, of any uh, change in uh, buying patterns, whether it's as economies open up and decide that uh, you know that uh, we're going to go out more and go back to work, uh, or we continue on. Uh, with the athleisure wear um, positive growth rates that we've seen to date, uh, we feel we're in a good position for inventory. Um, we do we're, we're very good at chasing inventory where we need to. Um, but uh, going forward, uh, just given our inventory position, we feel like we're well positioned for the back half of the year uh, should um, should uh, the open economies uh, change the buying patterns. Elizabeth, do you want to take the second part of that?
3: Yeah, hi Mark. Great question. On the, we're also very excited about kind of becoming a multi-inventory model um, business. And so, um, as I mentioned, you know, gearing up for being able to participate in dropship as well as vendor-managed inventory. You know, we've been working on that for the last few quarters, and will continue to do so in the, the next few quarters to come, with the intent of being able to use that as an opportunity to both uh, widen our selection, um, but also create more flexibility in being able to scale up and scale down to meet demand patterns. And so a lot of the work that's been involved has been um, putting the technology infrastructure in place um, for things like financial automation, um, as well as, you know, even enhanced forecasting tools to participate with our vendor community that we're very excited about given our data-driven algorithmic capabilities. And so we're essentially in beta mode right now um, on those offerings. And over the course of the next few quarters, we'll be able to share more, but over time, you know, really scale those as part of our inventory model, which together with, Um, the consumer-facing part of our experience we think creates just a really phenomenal flywheel. Um, So we're excited to share more over the coming couple of quarters.
5: Thank you.
0: And at this time, I'd like to to turn things back to Katrina for any closing remarks.
2: Great. Thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you all virtually or hopefully even in person in the coming quarters
0: that will conclude today's conference. Again, thank you all for joining us today.